So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. How many of you know that that's a song? Yes, do we know it? It's an old song now. Bill, would you know that song? Yes? You know that song? Come, let us go. Um, I won't sing it to you this morning. But it is a song and a very good one. Saying, come and let us go up to the mountain. I want you to notice two things. He will teach us his ways. So that's his part. And our part is, we shall walk in his paths. So, you've heard me speak before, and it seems to always come around to mountains once, because I love mountains, and I believe that God loves mountains as well, because we know that God chose Mount Zion to dwell. He chose a mountain on which to dwell. You can find that in Psalm 68 and Psalm 78. Also, God loves to speak to his people, it seems, on top of mountains. He also loves to encounter his people on mountains. And sometimes his people are asked to scale mountains to reach him. For his presence dwells there. We know the story of Abraham and Isaac. One of my favorite passages in Genesis 22, we won't expound upon that, but just that Abraham took his son Isaac up Mount Moriah, a three-day journey from where he was staying up a mountain to worship. He had to climb that mountain, he had to take everything with him, but he had an experience and an encounter with God there, and we all know what it was. There was a ram caught in a thicket and God provided the sacrifice for him. But it was a test. Moses went up Mount Sinai several times. He went and spent time communing with God, hearing the voice of God, and it was there that God gave Moses the tablets with his law written upon them. And as Moses went down the mountain, he clutched those tablets to his breast and went down into the valley where the people were, but as he did, his face shone with the presence of God. Why? Because he'd been with the Lord, communing with him, hearing his voice. Can you imagine watching God with his finger come and hew his laws 
in stone and carve out those tablets. Amazing. Could we have withstood it? What an encounter, what an experience that Moses had. And as he came down, his face was shining with the presence of the Lord. And you can find that in Exodus 34, 29. Well, what about a mountaintop experience of our own? Now, I couldn't, I could not uh, not do this, but that is from Banff National Park, uh, part of the Rocky Mountains, and there are no mountains like the Canadian Ra Rocky Mountains. And I know some people are going to go see those Canadian Rocky Mountains this year. Um, I want to stow away in their suitcases because I love the mountains. That's Banff. A beautiful spot. But what does scaling a mountain do for us? Well, number one, it takes a lot of perseverance, doesn't it? Because the way up can be strenuous. Now, how, who's a mountain climber in here uh, today? We know that Anna loves, loves to climb mountains. And it's hard work on the way up. Is it not, Anna? Hard, hard work. And I think Andy gets dragged along with, <laughs> occasionally up a mountain with Anna. But it can be strenuous. But does it not pay off once you got to the top? What do we see once we reach the summit? And you stand there as if you own the entire earth and you look at all of God's creation and does it not help us to see things from God's perspective? Do we not all of a sudden, and our problems and our issues and our challenges in life, do they not all of a sudden shrink and become also maybe insignificant in the sight of seeing things from a bigger perspective, from God's perspective? You see, God sees things differently than we see things. He sees the beginning from the end. He sees... He sees A to Z all at once. It's like a parade, seeing a parade from way up on top of a mountain. You see the whole parade, and yet we, down here, see only one tiny little portion at a time. And we get this scene, and then we get that scene, and we get another scene. Because we're only standing on one corner. But God sees it all. So I think it helps us to lift our eyes, to lift our perspective and to focus on something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our problems, bigger than what our sphere of life. And another thing the mountaintop experience does for us is that, most importantly, it helps us to connect with our Creator and our King. It helps us to commune with Him. And he's always so faithful as we make our way up Worship Mountain to meet with us there. His presence flooding into your heart and into your experience that day. And I believe that we need that mountaintop every day. Not just once in a while. But we need to find that secret place. We need to find that time away. It may not be a physical mountain. 
each and every day, but we can find our mountaintop experience on a walk. We can find that mountaintop experience in our kitchen. We can find it in our garages, in our tool shops, in our place of work. Your mountain can be there. You see, life isn't lived on the mountaintop. Life is lived in the valley. How many people do you see building a house on the top of a mountain? There might be a few, but how many people actually live on the mountaintop? Not too many. But life is lived in the valley. But the neat thing about it is, if we're making trips up the mountain often, we can take what we've experienced, we can take that encounter with God, we can clutch onto it, our face is shining, and we can march that presence of God down into our valley and live in that presence. We can bring that experience of the mountaintop, that communion with God, that mantle that rests upon you as you seek Him, persevere after Him. You can bring that down into your valley. You see, some people think that, that a valley is a negative thing. Uh, I don't see a valley as a negative thing. I see a valley as a very important part of geography. You see, a valley is lush and it's green. It's full of fruit. It's where crops grow. It's where rivers flow. And it's where we f grow food and nourishment. The valley is watered by streams and this is something that I saw. I saw streams flowing from the mountain. You know how the, in the picture I showed you before, there's snow on the, the mountain peaks? Well, that snow can melt. And it melts down, it forms streams. And then those streams form rivers. And those rivers flow. Where do they flow? Down into the valley. May our faces shine as we come down and bring that presence, that flow of God, the the life of the Spirit down with us into our own valley, into our own experience. That's what I want. I want to see our faces shining. Another way that the valley is, is watered is by clouds. How many of you can say you've experienced a cloud in your life, maybe even recently? Hands. You don't have to put your hands up. But I'm putting mine up. But you know what? Clouds are good too because they, those clouds in the expanse of the height of those mountains, those clouds are trapped and they can't get up and over the, over the mountain. So what happens is they're trapped on the side of the mountain and they drop their moisture. They drop liquid gold upon that mountain which feeds the streams, which feeds the rivers, which feeds the valley. So I would say that a valley is not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. That's where nourishment is. Life is lived in the valley. Life is lived in the valley. That's where productivity happens. 
That's where we work. That's where we work. It's a place where we tend our gardens. You know what? We all as individuals have several gardens to tend. We have our homes and we have our families to tend. That's a garden on its own. Marriages to keep strong, children to care for and raise properly, ministering life to them daily. Perhaps we have elderly parents such as I do looking after them, an extended family. We have houses, literal houses, and we have we have what we would say yards to mow or gardens to mow. You've got grass to keep, you've got grounds to keep. We have pets to look after. Some of us do. And they become part of our family just as much as, as our children do. We have our local church family to care for as we come together in one accord to worship and labor in his vineyard together, to take care of and to love one another. We also have a workplace garden where we have to tend the place that we work and work hard, work with integrity. And those relationships that are, are around your workplace. So you are a beacon in your workplace. May we take that flow of the Spirit out of our encounter with God. May we grab a hold of that. May our faces be shining and may it flow down into our workplaces. And show the love of God, the Spirit of God, the presence of God. Let, I want to be known as somebody who carries the presence. How about you? It's precious. We also have the garden of our own lives to tend. We have our own physical bodies we need to look after. We need to keep the weight off. We need to get to the gym. We need to look after ourselves with nourishing food, right? But we also have to tend our souls because sometimes our souls become worn and weary. And you know Psalm 23 where it says, He leads me beside still waters. And what does He do? He restores my soul. So if you feel war torn, worn and weary, perhaps you need a little bit more still water experience. We also have to feed our spirits daily. And you know what? We have a responsibility to feed ourselves daily. To get into the Word of God daily. To experience our mountaintop, our encounter with God daily. Because if you wait seven days, well, I'm going to get fed at church. And yet you wait for another seven days way over here to hear again. You're going to have a dry, it's going to become dry because you need to, f to feed on God daily. You need to feed on His Word daily. You need to 
Pursue him daily. You see, we need to be working hard, being productive, and it's, it's wonderful to do that. There's a sense of accomplishment. But we have to realize we must be strengthened and renewed often on the mountaintop with God, wherever that mountaintop is for you. Where is your secret place? <coughs> but we need to meet with him, hear from him, so that he can fill us with o to overflowing. We need daily grace for the daily grind. How many need it? We need daily grace for the daily grind. Now, as you can see, that's the Okanagan Valley. Can you see that? British Columbia. Beautiful vineyards. Do you know how much work it takes to keeping a vineyard? Unbelievable. You research it. Unbelievable amount of effort it takes looking after those vines. Cultivating, pruning. Unbelievable amount of work. If we neglect our gardens, our own gardens, if we neglect taking that daily trip up the mountain, our valley of productivity can dry up and it can become a desert. Well, let's just talk about deserts for a minute. Deserts are hot. Deserts are dry. Deserts are barren. Deserts are a wilderness. They lack water. They lack vegetation. They lack food. There's no lush gardens there. It's a barren land. The basic needs are not met there. There's no water. There's no food. There's nowhere to take shelter. There's not even any trees. It's just barren land. What happens to us if we're dropped? Just imagine now. I was thinking about the old western movies, you know, where you've got guys that have somehow been stranded in a desert and their horses are gone and there they are with their bandana and their hat down over their, over their uh, brow and they're plodding their way across a dry and barren desert. What happens to us in the desert? Well, we thirst, we hunger, we become parched. There could be a sandstorm. And can you imagine how sand might hurt if you've got the wind you know, rushing it past you, I'm sure you, you, you get all the sand pitted in your skin. It can be a lonely and desolate place. And if we stay in the desert too long, heat exhaustion sets in. And the temptation to stop and lie down and succumb and give up and curl up in a ball is very real and tempting. When you're in a desert, your focus is completely upon finding one thing. And what is that? Water. Water. It becomes like gold. You'd give anything 
to find a place of oasis in the midst of a desert. So what, how, what do we do if we find ourselves in the middle of nowhere in a desert place? How will we react? Well, will we turn our eyes upward? Will we cry out and do whatever it takes to find that nourishment, that water in this time of testing? Will we remain faithful? These are all rhetorical questions. Will we worship God and be thankful? We know in Thessalonians it, it tells us that in everything give thanks for this is the will of God, Christ Jesus concerning us. It doesn't say for anything. It says in everything. Will we trust him for his perfect timing? Will we put aside what we want for what he wants? Will we walk with integrity? And I saw something posted the other day, and it was this. Integrity, true integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's watching. Will we walk with integrity even if we find ourselves in the middle of a hot and dry desert? When we're thirsting and hungry and weary? Will our disposition be sweet or will it become bitter? Will we give way to fear, panic, desperation, hopelessness? Or, heaven forbid, we stoop to pointing our finger and accusing one another of the desert that we find ourselves in. And I think back to those movies again where you've got guys out there trying to get across this desert, and I've seen it, where finally they come to a place, they realize we're really in trouble here. There is no water, and yet what they do, instead of buying together, they, they start accusing one another. Well, you lost the horses, and well, you drank the last drop of water, and well, you ate the last Mars bar. We could have been out of here by now. Or will our response be this? Will we just dig deeper? Will we cry out and realize that help is on the way? We sang that this morning. Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge, my refuge and strength always. Will we encourage ourselves in the Lord? Will we encourage each other? And remember that the times that God has brought us through. Will we put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness? And will we find the strength from the joy of the Lord to begin climbing up that mountain? Will we put on determination to find Him? To reach Him? Will we draw near to God? And we know the promise, don't we? That if we'll draw near to him, he will draw near to us. God will reward us with his promise and his presence. So how do we get out of the desert? It's by doing those things. You will find the streams of his mercy, love and compassion flowing down the mountain and watering your desert.
We are not forsaken. We have the promise of the Lord's help. And he's promised to make a way where there is no way. Now these next few moments, I'm simply going to read scriptures. And I cannot expound upon them any greater than has already expounded upon in the word of God itself. So I'm just going to read you a few scriptures in Isaiah. The wilderness and the dry land. Oh, that's the wrong one. Back one. The spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. Let me read that again. The spirit is poured upon us from on high. Do you see the streams coming down the mountain? Do you see your face shining? Can you see it taking that spirit of God into the valley? We're not going to go into the desert though because we're going to go up the mountain often. And we're going to receive of that presence of God. We're going to encounter God. We're going to feed from his word. We're going to get that the we're going to get the the oil of joy upon our lives. We're going to take that. We're going to take that down into our valley. And we're going to be productive. We're going to work. We're going to tend our gardens. We're going to look after ourselves. We're going to look after our body, soul, and spirit. We're going to look after our homes. We're going to look after our children. We're going to look after our relatives. We're going to look after our church family. We're going to love one another. We're going to come together in unity and one accord. We're going to worship God together. We're going to look after our workplaces. We're going to work hard at it. We're going to go to school. That's another air, whole air, a whole garden. Our schools and the hard work that goes in there. We're going to tend those things. But you know what? We're not going to leave it too long because that valley of productivity can suddenly, all of a sudden, start to dry up. We've got to get back up the mountain. We've got to go and partake of that fresh water that's so abundant there. And bring that back down into our valley and go at it again. We're not going to leave it too long and end up in the desert. Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those that have an anxious heart, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance with recompense of God, and he will save you. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads, and they shall obtain Gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isaiah 41. The poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. 
Their tongues fail for thirst. But I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in the desolate heights and, mount and fountains in the midst of valleys. And I will make a wilderness, a pool of water. And the dry land springs of water. Can you see that? Can you see the desert, a pool of water? Can you see the roses begin to grow? Isaiah 43. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. For behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Even the beasts of the field will honor me. Because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. To give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Aren't you glad you've got a God that loves you so much? That he's willing to do this for us? Because you see, sometimes the desert place are, is our own doing. And yet his love and his mercy and compassion flows down from the mountaintops into our lives. Just one encounter of his presence floods that dry and thirsty soul. But it doesn't end there. Isaiah 44. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Oh, right. I will pour water. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. He's going to pour upon us. God's blessing is, His hand is going to rest upon your head and His blessing is going to just pour all over you. Can you feel it? Have you ever stood in a waterfall? Just imagine. You've been in a desert, and you go and you find an oasis, and you just stand under that waterfall and let the, let the water just flow over you. It restores you, it renews you, it cleans you, it washes you. You drink some of it, <coughs> open your mouth, let it pour in. Well, we're still not done. Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. You shall be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You are going to be like a well-watered garden. And what happens in a well-watered garden 
is that things grow, fruit grows. And you know what? You're, if you're a well-watered garden, you're going to have water with which to share. You're going to have a bounty with which to share. We have good friends in Canada, and they have a, a huge vegetable garden. Huge. And every year, she would bring me stuff, sharing her bounty out of her garden that she grew. You're going to be like a well-watered garden because the blessings of God are not just for ourselves. The blessings that God bestows upon us are for others. It's to share. It's to share. That's why we need to go up the mountain lots. We need to encounter God lots. Regular. So that we can have something to share with those in need that are in the valley or in the desert. Perhaps you're that spring that they need. Perhaps you're that drink of fresh water that they need. So that's the way out of the desert. One last scripture. It says in Acts 3.19, and I'll just read it. <sighs> so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Where does that refreshing come from? It comes from the presence of the Lord. So I would encourage you to come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, wherever that mountain is. Maybe it's on your walk. Maybe it's in your kitchen. Maybe it's in your workplace or school. But wherever that secret place is where you can commune and get hold of God, I would encourage you to do that on a daily basis. Get into your word because the word, there's life in the word. There's nourishment in the Word. The Word of God refreshes, it cleans, it washes us clean. But to be fair, verse 19 starts with a, a word. That's the end of the verse. The times of refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord. But verse 19 starts with a word and it's repent. Repent. If there's something that the Lord puts his finger on in your times with him, get it right. Face it. Own it. Don't ignore it. Because if we ignore it, that time of refreshing just can't come. But if there's something there, face it, own it, repent of it, let it go. And you'll find that the Lord will pour living water all over you. And that refreshing will come from His presence. So...
come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord.